Okay, so welcome to another um, talk in our series from the Gospel of Mark. Today our passage is in chapter 2, verses 13 to 22. Um, we're going to be looking at two events. Um, they seem to be separate events in the life of the Lord Jesus, which reveal more to us of the new things that Jesus was teaching through his ministry. And I think that's a theme that we see throughout the Gospels. Jesus was bringing something new. And in his teaching and in the things that he did, uh, the example that he set, um, he was saying that it was time to change. As we um, thought a few weeks ago when we were in chapter 1, um, at the beginning of his public ministry, um, Jesus went out and he said, the time has come, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. Now we were thinking about signs as part of our worship service uh, this morning, and so far in this series of talks, we've seen some of the signs of um, the emergence of, of, of that new kingdom that Jesus was talking about, the evidence of that kingdom coming near. We've seen um, how people reacted to his teaching. Uh, it was confident, it was convincing, it was compelling. They said he spoke with authority and not like their normal teachers. We've seen another sign in the miracles that Jesus did. Um, his ability to heal all sorts of diseases. We've even seen Jesus casting out demons now, demon possession isn't really something that I think that we experience today, or at least I don't know of any um, genuine um, occurrences, but it was real in the, in the days of the Lord Jesus. Let's not dismiss it as just examples of mental illness. There was real demon possession in the days of the Lord Jesus, and some think that demon possession then was also a sign in itself of the coming kingdom of God, um, in the sense that it provoked the powers of darkness to be more active in um, opposition um, to God. And one of the events we're going to um, think about today um, is, I think, another sign of how God's kingdom was starting to grow and how it would continue to grow right down um, to this day. But it's not something that we would normally think of as miraculous um, because I'd like us to think about the power of God that is seen in a changed life. Let's read the first part of our passage. As I say, our passage seems to cover two events, so we'll deal with it in two, in two halves. The first one is from verse 13 down to verse 17 of Mark chapter 2. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus said, told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, 
It is not the healthy who need the doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So we leave it there for now. What does it take to change a person? There's a saying, isn't there? Um, that a leopard can't change its spots. And it's often used to describe how deep down people never change or very rarely change no matter what kind of an image that they try to um, present to people and convince people that they have changed. Deep down, often people um, don't change. If someone is corrupt, untrustworthy, uh, deceitful, argumentative, um, immoral, uncaring, etc., etc., it's assumed that they'll probably always be like that because it's very hard for a person to change how they think and behave, especially if they've been that way for, um, for a long time. And yet, we've seen how the Gospel, which um, Paul in Romans 1 and 16 says is the power of God which brings salvation to everyone who believes, the Gospel can change lives. And that's what we've read about in the case of Levi. So what do we know about Levi? Um, well, the first thing, just in case you were wondering, is to be clear that this is the same man that we read about in Matthew 9 and Luke 5, even though um, in, which one of those, I can't remember, Luke 5, I think it is, where he is also called um, Matthew. And neither Mark, Matthew or Luke explain about the other name, they just use these two different names. But like Peter, who was also called Simon, it wasn't uncommon for people to have um, two names. And Levi, which is a Jewish name, possibly used the name Matthew, which I think is a Greek name, when he was um, dealing with his Greek-speaking employers, um, who were the Romans. And that's what Levi did for a living, he worked for the Romans and he was a tax collector. And if you're a civil servant um, today working for HMRC, you might be thinking, well, there's nothing wrong with that. And of course, you'd be absolutely right. It's a valuable service. We all need tax collectors. Um, but in the days of the Roman occupation of the land of the Jewish people, tax collectors were considered by many to be the scum of the earth because they collected taxes, but the thing is they collected taxes on behalf of the Romans who were the occupying force and therefore tax collectors were often viewed as collaborators with the enemy, so to speak. They were also viewed as being religiously or ceremonially unclean um, because they constantly mixed with, with, with non-Jewish people and therefore other Jews would not want to associate with them because that would make them um, unclean. So I think it's probably fair to say that tax collectors probably didn't have many Jewish um, friends. Um, in fact, I don't think they had many friends at all because they also had a reputation for greed and dishonesty. They charged more tax than people needed to pay. Um, they pocketed the difference. They exploited the vulnerable. And if you think about how we would view someone today perhaps who was a, a loan shark, it probably gives us a better idea 
of what kind of person Levi was and how people like him would be viewed in um, his community. But one day, Levi, as we read, was sitting in his office um, and he sees Jesus approaching him. I think we can assume that he had already heard some of the teachings of Jesus. Um, he might have been like Zacchaeus, the other tax collector that we know about, who had a life-changing experience of Jesus. We're not going there today, but like Zacchaeus, he may well have been out and about looking to see Jesus and may have heard some of what Jesus was teaching and preaching, or he maybe heard it indirectly from other people. But I think we can assume he knew something of the gospel, which perhaps explains why he responded so quickly to Jesus' call. Um, but before Jesus spoke to them, um, what Levi knew of Jesus probably was that, like John the Baptist, he was preaching a message about repentance and the need for people to change. And maybe as he saw Jesus approaching, he was fully expecting Jesus to come and tear a, a right old strip off him and tell him what a bad person he was and, 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 and how he wasn't good enough. And I sometimes wonder whether people who've never been to church before go along to church for the first time, fearful that that is the experience that they're going to have, that the preacher is going to point at them and say, no, you don't want to be like this person you know, um, over there. You're such a bad person. I, I imagine he might have been trembling in his in his tax collector crocodile shoes or whatever else tax collectors spent their ill-gain money on. But instead, instead, Jesus says something to him that would change his life forever. He said, follow me. So how did Levi respond? He read that he got up and he followed Jesus. Sounds quite straightforward and, and, and simple. Um, in the Gospel of Luke, we get a little bit more detail. It's only a tiny bit more detail, but it's sort of reminiscent of what the, um, of what, um, the other disciples that we were reading about when they responded to the call of Jesus. Because Luke writes, Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. He left everything. He was ready to make a change. And I think there are two amazing things here. Like I said at the beginning, this, I mean, this is not a miraculous sign in one sense, but these were amazing things nonetheless. Um, I think the first amazing thing is that Jesus should call somebody like Levi to be one of his disciples, to be a, a future apostle. Um, that's just one of the amazing things about God. But secondly, we see the profound effects that Jesus and his message had on Levi. A complete change of hearts. The beginning of a changed life. He was a leopard and he changed his spots. And I think one of the encouragements that we get from this is the reminder that if Jesus could accept someone like Levi, He'll certainly accept us, no matter um, who we are or, or what we've done, um, if we respond to his call. And I think there is also an encouragement for um, anyone who has already done that. Um, there's an encouragement about how we view other people, um, people that might be different to ourselves. 
people that perhaps we wouldn't normally associate with. Um, it's an encouragement to us, if ever there is somebody like Levi that we're thinking twice about whether we should um, talk to and befriend, um, because we need to believe and trust that Jesus can reach and melt <coughs> the hardest heart. There is no one beyond the reach of the gospel, no one excluded from the love of God, and therefore we should be willing to reach out to people from all walks of life, just as the Lord Jesus did. But of course, that's not how the Pharisees saw people who didn't live in the way that they thought everyone um, should live. For them, the world was much more black and white. There were righteous and unrighteous people. There were moral and immoral people. There were clean and unclean people. And there were those who followed the rules, most of which the Pharisees had made up themselves. Um, and there were those who didn't. And the people who didn't, they were the people to be avoided. And of course, those attitudes, the attitudes of the leaders, like in many um, cultures and societies, um, affected everyone else. You know, the wider Jewish society. So there was probably a lot of prejudice and discrimination against people like Levi. Um, and a lot of people pushed to the edges of society. A lot of people who were labelled simply as sinners. Which is you know, the word that we read in our text today. Tax collectors and, and basically everybody else who doesn't follow the rules and should be avoided. And when the Pharisees saw Jesus and his disciples enjoying the company not just of Levi, but surrounded by many others like him. Sinners who, this, um, who they thought this new religious teacher should be avoiding, they just couldn't understand it, could they? They didn't want to understand it. They were offended by it. You know, Mark and Matthew's Gospel describe their reaction just as a question to his disciples. Why? Why does he eat with tax collectors and, and sinners? Um, but Luke goes a little bit further again. And I think he captures really what they were actually thinking because he writes that they complained to his disciples. They complained, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? How did Jesus respond? He said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor but the, uh, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And Jesus, of course, wasn't saying that the Pharisees were righteous. Uh, far from it. He was just simply dealing with their question in the context of their own, of their own thinking. Um, their assumption that they were righteous and all these other people were not righteous. Well, at least they were half right. Um, because the tax collectors certainly weren't righteous. In fact, the Bible tells us that there is no one who is righteous. All have sinned and we all fall short of the glory um, of God. Um, to use the metaphor that Jesus used, um, they were sick. We are all sick with sin and need to be healed. And therefore, as the great physician, the great healer, Jesus was saying that it was just natural for him to be with the sick and not with those who thought that they didn't need to be healed. 
again, we're meant to be studying Mark, but I think it's just worth looking at the same account in the other, in the other Gospels, because when we go to the other Gospels, we discover that Jesus didn't leave it there. Um, Matthew goes on to say that Jesus then also gave them a quote from the prophet Hosea, from the Old Testament, chapter 6. He said to the Pharisees, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. The word for mercy there, um, it's the same word to use, um, that's used to describe um, God's love for his people in the Old Testament, despite their constant failings. What God wanted from them, and it's, it's what he wants from us today, um, is not religious rituals and rule-keeping, if there isn't also a genuine love for God and a genuine love for other people. And that includes the tax collectors and the sinners of every generation, doesn't it? As Jesus said in Matthew 22, these are the two greatest things that God wants from people, from what he wants from us today. And they summarise all of God's um, commandments, Jesus said, to love God and to love our neighbour, regardless of their beliefs and lifestyle. And somehow, despite all their religious devotion and all their study of the scriptures, the Pharisees had completely missed that. We need to be careful that we don't do the same. So, um, goodness, is that the time? Um, let's move on quickly to the, to the second event. Did we start late? I think I'm... I'm so sorry, I think I've dragged my heels a little bit. Um, move on to the second event. So we're going to read now from verse 18. Another question that Jesus was asked. It says, um, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast? while he is with them. They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, otherwise the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. It's not clear who was actually asking this question. Um, Mark says some people asked it. Luke implies that it was the Pharisees, the same people who complained about the company that Jesus was keeping. And Matthew says that it was John's disciples who asked the question. So we can't really tell if this was a genuine question. Um, and... Uh, whether it was from people who were genuinely trying to understand something about Jesus' message, or if it was just another complaint about Jesus not conforming to other people's expectations. But I guess the motivations really aren't that important, so we'll just park all of that. Um, it's what Jesus said in response that's um, important, and that's what I'm going to focus on just briefly. Firstly, um, let's just cover this. What is fasting? Um, it's quite simply to abstain from eating or drinking completely or partly 
for a period of time which might be long or short. Um, for example, we often hear about people giving up things for Lent. That's a kind of, a kind of fasting. Um, it's not just a religious thing because people um, fast for all sorts of other reasons. Um, like you might have heard of the various fasting diets that some people um, follow today for health reasons. Um, some people fast to allow them to um, focus more on something else. And sometimes it might just be a regular ritual, something that people do. Um, and maybe sometimes they don't even think about why they do it. They just do it because it's time to do it. And we know that Jesus fasted. Um, it says in Matthew 4 that he fasted for 40 days in the wilderness just before he went out into his public ministry. Um, we don't know why he fasted. That bit's not explained, only that he did fast. Now, it might have been to experience suffering as a preparation for the suffering he would experience throughout his ministry. Um, or it might have been to deliberately expose himself to temptation so he could overcome it. You remember the devil used his hunger as a, a way to try and tempt him. Uh, or maybe he just wanted to dedicate more of his time to prayer. We spend quite a lot of time thinking about and preparing and eating and getting over food, don't we? So you take all of that out, you've got more time to pray. Maybe it was that, or maybe it was a, all of those things. We don't know. And I do think it's quite strange that we're not really told much about the purpose or the mechanics of fasting um, in the Bible, even though it seems to be something that was actually done um, quite a lot. Uh, in fact, in Matthew 6, Jesus seems to imply that fasting was something that his disciples would do because he says to them, when you fast, you know, don't go around letting everyone know that you're fasting by putting a miserable face on, you know, but the assumption was when you fast. So it, it was something that Jesus seemed to imply his disciples would do, but he never said it's something that they should do. And the same is true for us. We're not expected to fast. Um, but it is something that we might do if we find it beneficial for whatever reason. It's a personal choice. And actually, fasting wasn't part of the Old Testament law um, either. It was just a tradition. It was a ritual um, that had gradually become part of Jewish life to the extent that when anyone didn't do it, questions were asked. Why aren't you fasting? So how did Jesus reply to that question? Why didn't he instruct his disciples to fast? And he gave two answers to the question, didn't he? In the first, he makes quite a cryptic comment, I think, about the friends of the bridegroom. And I guess that no one would have had any idea what he was talking about. Um, some think it might, he might have been quoting an old proverb, not one from the Bible, but a proverb that might have meant something uh, at the time so they might have latched on to something but of course we looking back now can see that Jesus was perhaps just giving a little hint there of how his disciples would feel the sorrow that they would experience when um, he allowed men to take him from them um, and crucify him and of course we read about how they felt at that time um, that was the initial response. It does seem to be separate from what then follows in verses 22 to 23. And actually in Luke's gospel, the two bits are separated. And Luke begins the second part by saying he told them this parable. So it is like a separate 
little um, thing. And I think that people would have had, at least some of them, some idea of what Jesus was getting at with this little parable. Because Jesus was already getting a reputation, as I've already said, for spreading new teaching, for bringing new things. And that's the point that Jesus was making in this little parable. In the parable, I think he was simply saying that sometimes you can't just mix, you just can't mix old and new things. And Jesus had come to bring something new and not something which encompassed Jewish traditions and rituals, things like the regular fasting days that people were expected to keep. Is there an application for us today in this? Well, um, obviously we're no longer wrestling with some of the same challenges that the early church faced where many Jewish Christians were very reluctant to let go of their old traditions. Um, they were, so to speak, trying to put the new wine teaching of Christianity into the um, old wineskins of Judaism. Um, and we know they were wrong about that because we have the apostles' response to that idea um, in letters like the letter to the Galatians, where he made it very clear that's not what Christianity is all about. Um, but even so, I, I think we do need to be careful when we read our Jewish Bibles, um, I mean the Old Testament of course, um, in how we interpret what we, we find there. The Old Covenant has been replaced with the New. But I think perhaps a more practical application if we were looking one, looking for one in what Jesus was teaching in this little parable um, about old and new things is the encouragement that sometimes we have to let go of old traditions when necessary to allow new ideas to flourish. And we should always be alert to anything, especially if it's just our own reluctance to change, um, anything which might be constraining our service or our methods of service, or our enjoyment of service, um, or, or the effectiveness of our service in making and keeping disciples. Because that's what we're all about, isn't it? That's what the Great Commission is all about, um, that God has given us. Um, so that's all I really want to say about our passage um, today. We've thought about how Jesus called another one of his disciples, Levi the loan shark shall i call it he wasn't a loan shark but you get the idea jesus changed his life and that is amazing and it is a sign of the power of the gospel it's an encouragement to remember that jesus calls the most unlikely of people isn't it and he is very much the friend of sinners and he expects us to be likewise and the calling of levi was just one example of the very different approach that Jesus um, took compared to the religious people of his day, people who thought they knew better. Um, and in the parable that Jesus told that we've just been thinking about, uh, when he was asked why his disciples didn't keep to the old traditions, um, we see one reason why Jesus took a different approach and why his teaching was such a concern to people like the Pharisees, who we might call the custodians custodians of the status quo um, Jesus was bringing something new wasn't he something um, he was bringing new teaching and new ways 
leading to new freedoms. And that is the gospel that we have believed in. Let's pray.